The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. <laughs> Welcome in to the Arrowhead Addict Podcast. I am Sterling Holmes. No Matt Connor. Dude is getting inked up right now. Uh, I guess we thought maybe him live streaming a show while getting a tattoo might not be the most enjoyable experience. Now, I, for one, think it'd be fun. Hearing him scream, writhe in pain, I don't know, could be kind of enjoyable. So instead, we have a special show. First up, Daniel Harms, film analyst for RGR Football, joining us right now. Daniel, how are you? I'm great. And I think that having a live stream of someone getting a tattoo would be absolutely great for ratings. Everybody would tune in. Like, this is exactly what they would do. They come in. They want to listen to guys getting inked up and see exactly how they react under pressure and pain. I think that would be awesome. Uh, See, I think so, too. And if anyone watches the Tuesday show, they know Matt and myself, we're very very different, very loose. It would totally fit the vibe. And you know what else fits the vibe? That is KC Beer Company. KC Beer Co., the best beer in the world, best sponsor. Uh, Every time you guys tweet us, you tag them in it. It means the world to us and to them. I am drinking the Fest beer. It is outstanding. I'm almost out, so I got to go get more. If you know me and you watch this show, I go through them pretty quick. They're that good, though. And it's not just because they sponsor us. It's because it is an incredible beer. They've been brewing their beer from the German purity laws of 1516. They use only four ingredients. Find the red box in KC, Kansas, or Missouri. Get you some KC Beer Company and dare to beer different. All right, Daniel, let's get into... First, the Jaguars game. I want to start with the offense first and specifically Mm -hmm. the offensive line. You being a film analyst, you honestly, by the way, if people don't know, Daniel and myself, we talk on radio all the time and we always focus on the offensive line. So first and foremost, give me your thoughts with the Chiefs O-line and their victory over the Jags. Yeah, this is one of the things that I've been I've I tried to make my name about. Like I I do everything, but I think that offensive line play is some place that I can star in and I can analyze it. I'm trying to get, emulate guys like Brendan Thorne who are great at it. But the Chiefs offensive line does have some interesting concepts to it. We saw Andrew Wiley essentially, you know, get hurt. He was playing with an elbow that was wrapped taped or something before he ended up not being able to keep going on. I don't know what exactly what happened, but uh, we do know that Prince Tewanogo was the, uh, Tewanogo was the one that took over for him. The offensive line had a better day and it, it feels like they finally utilized space to their advantage. Something we haven't seen a whole lot, especially in their shotgun run game. They had a lot of good looks against lighter boxes. That they took advantage of and they got Isaiah Pacheco went some favorable looks. They mixed in some power, some gap schemes, some counter, all of these, Things that we've been asking them to do is how you create space and utilize the space to your advantage. And they were able to do that against the Jacksonville Jaguars. The pass protection held up relatively well. They did also did some things that helped Patrick Mahomes. They moved the pocket. They used Noah Gray a little bit. They used Travis Kelsey. They, they used all their tight ends well just to be able to give Patrick some help, especially when the offensive line suffered that injury with Andrew Wiley. So I think this was a good game for them you're still having some 
issues with your tackles getting walked back into the pocket. But Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, the offense seemed to have find, found a way to maneuver that, get the ball out quick, run the ball a little bit better. Everything works better when you have a running game. You, you saw the protection. He looked like he had a couple plays where he was able to kind of just sit back there and look. A good running game can help, can help a quarterback in the passing game. I know that we all want to just forget about the run game, but it's still important and it's even more important in this day and age in football than it has been the last five years, in my opinion. Sticking with the offensive line, a question from our Ring of Honor member, J. Cole. Does Prince Tegawanogo get the nod over Andrew Wiley going forward, provided that Andrew Wiley is healthy? What are your thoughts there? Because I, I, I thought the right side held up very nicely without Wiley. Wiley's probably been the biggest question mark all season long on the offensive line for Kansas City. You know, Wiley's not the future, right? No, Wiley is, is a stopgap. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Lucas Niang was brought in to be the future. Then they were they were hoping for maybe Darian Kennard. But is it going to be Prince Teguanoga going forward? I don't think so. And when you look at what happened is one of the big things that they did was they helped him out a lot. They moved the pocket his way, which gives you some interior help from Trey Smith. They also used a lot of Noah Gray on his side to chip to help block, again, all of these things that were addressed at Prince Teowinogo to be able to get some help on his side. And I do think if all things are the same going forward, if Andrew Wiley is healthy, he will get the nod. One, because you have experience. The athlete situation for these two is they're both really good athletes. Like that's one of the things that Andrew Wiley was drafted for. He was drafted because he's an athlete. He has good footwork. He can get out and move. You know, I think Prince has really good footwork too. It, it translates well. You see him, he can get out and move, but he also struggles with power at the point of attack. His anchor he doesn't have that recovery step that we see Andrew Wiley have. Again, that comes in with time. It comes in with playing time. And Andrew Wiley's had a ton of that over the last couple of years. So I think that if he's healthy, he's going to still get the nod. But the problem is going to be going forward. There is no – right now, there's no heir apparent at right tackle. We don't even know if Lucas Niang will get to being healthy and in real relative playing shape. So I would love to see I, – I, the talent for Prince has always been there. The injuries seem to have taken a step in – making his career arc what could have been in terms in terms of having that upside kind of shorted him. So it's unfortunate, but again, it's all about playing reps. Andrew Wiley has them, experience, chemistry with this offensive line. Prince doesn't. But I will say that he did do a good job in not just getting thrown down on the ground and beaten across his face multiple times. So you have to be able to be come in and play competently and think he did that. With the run game, one thing that really stood out to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, I didn't see a ton of RPOs, and that that really stood out. I've been screaming game after game. I don't think the Chiefs have a rushing problem, more so they have an RPO problem. And I know that goes hand in hand, but they also stuck with Isaiah Pacheco, even after the fumble. It was Kareem mm-hmm. Hunt-esque, right? When Kareem Hunt fumbled the first career carry, they went back to him. Pacheco fumbles, they went right back to him, and he rewarded the Kansas City Chiefs. What did you take away from the run game as a whole? Did you see less RPO? Is Pacheco the new guy going forward, and is Clyde now buried on the depth chart? Yeah, I think that the RPOs look differently because they started handing them off a little bit too. There was one specifically that was it was a full-fledged RPO, but they handed it off to Isaiah, and they, used the, they utilized the space. Like That's the biggest thing. If you're going to run more RPOs, utilize the space and hand it off every now and then. One, it keeps your defense honest, and it allows you then to start to build the RPO game back up. And they did have one earlier where a linebacker dropped into the spot where they were going to hit Tony on a slant route, and you see Mahomes kind of you know pump, kind of get back down and then sidearm underneath the guy into Noah Gray in the flat. Like he was able to to maneuver around a little bit, but I do think they're going away from just straight 
RPOs like we see with the Miami Dolphins. You, you're seeing the Chiefs kind of take some of it, but also build it into the run game a little bit. So Isaiah was given the opportunity in this game, and I think it was more important for him after the fumble to keep going with him. And while I'm more confident that he's going to continue to be the guy going forward, this might not be the game to just say Isaiah is going to be the guy until the end of the season. And I know that I have a, a tweet out there talking about where Clyde's probably done uh, in terms of being a productive player in Kansas City. He'll probably be utilized. I, just, I still believe that he can be a productive player in an NFL team against a running game that's going to utilize his strengths and his passing game prowess. But he's been unable to pass protect and when you're looking for a guy who can get out in the passing downs you need to be able to pass protect every once in a while Clyde just doesn't have it you also haven't seen the development in his vision or anything else in my opinion from Clyde since he got into Kansas City so they stuck with Isaiah which you the Chiefs really do a lot of you see a guy fumble Andy Reid typically especially right next right after the drive after that they'll give him the ball again like they that he is known for doing this. So it was very important for his confidence to be able to keep going. And he spoke about, you know, how he felt more angry than anything about the fumble. It wasn't so much like, yeah, the defense did a really good job punching that. I was like, no, I dropped that. Like that was my fault. <laughs> so I need to do something about it. And I like them going back to him because again, it instills confidence in him. The coaching staff wants to breed confidence in their players even if it's at the detriment of a guy like right now, Clyde Ojalaire, it's important to build up your rookie who's going to be getting a bulk of your touches that's not in the passing game. So right now I do think he's going to get the majority of the starting workload, but I do think that McKinnon will be a huge role as we've seen. And, and going forward, I think you'll see, still see Clyde a good amount. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Michael Burton was unstoppable on those third and ones, fourth and yeah. ones, and then he's now been stopped two times in a row. What do the Chiefs do from here? I feel like that play is no longer going to work. What would you do if you're the OC? If you're Andy Reid, if you're BNME, Matt Nagy, what do you now draw up in third and one and fourth and one? I know we don't want him to get too cute, but also to an extent, they won't do QB sneaks. I'm for one, I say, do a QB sneak. It was a freak accident, but it just seems like Andy in this offense, they won't. If Michael Mm -hmm. Burton's not working, what would you do? I would stop with this nonsense and being so predictable. You bring out Michael Burton on the third and short, guess what? Every one of their mother knows who's getting the football. So Michael Burton, like they know. <laughs> if you want to give him the ball, spread everybody out, get in shotgun, okay? I want to see, and even if you have to, if you want to bring Michael Burton out and be different, use a, a semi-full house package where you have in the pistol, Isaiah Pacheco, you have... Michael Burton next to Mahomes, this way it's differently. You can run passes off of it. You can do a whole bunch of different things. You can run jet sweeps. You can do anything, but stop being so predictable. You don't have to be this offense that comes in with a th- three tight ends and a two, two running backs and say, we're going to run it down your throat. No, just run your normal offense. Just run your normal offense. That's all you have to do. You can get one yard with just about any run out of shotgun that you normally do. You don't have to always bring Mike Burton out, but if, if you do, just keep it in shotgun. You can throw it to him in the flat. You can throw the ball. You don't always have to just run Michael Burton in the middle on third and short. I, I just 
I, I understand it usually works, but especially when you have a backup right tackle who got destroyed on that third and one, by the way, Prince did get absolutely destroyed. Run jet sweeps, run fake sweeps, like fake handoffs. It do, you can do so many different things with this offense. And I know that Kadarius Tony played quarterback. Take If you have to, if you want to, take Mahomes off the field once. Put him back there. Let him run a, a wildcat offense. I don't care. Just get different so it's not so predictable. Michael Burton comes on there and he's the guy on third and one. Yeah, John F. right there in the chat says, third and short, Kadarius Tony in the Wildcat. Good luck yeah, there. Uh, right there. Way, you're getting some love right here in the chat. Jesse shot a little late, but Dan, as well as... Appreciate you guys. Apex Affairs, Dan on the Addict, let's go. What up, Apex? How you doing, man? Love it. I want to ask you something before we, we talk defense here. Mm-hmm. As great as Mahomes has been, he has been unreal right now. He is leading the MVP candidate. I think he firmly yeah, passed sure. Jalen Hurts after last night's game. That was a deciding factor for me. The Eagles being undefeated was a major talking point as far as Jalen Hurts, not any longer. Uh, also, Mahomes has dragged Kansas City back in multiple games to victory while Jalen Hurts yeah. has not had, well, he had his first opportunity and he, he squandered it. But my concern is we're seeing what's happened with Josh Allen and the Bills. The Mm -hmm. usage rate for Josh Allen is, frankly, unsustainable. Mm -hmm. It just is. The usage rate for Kansas City and Mahomes is getting eerily close to what's going on in Buffalo. Does that make you nervous at all? I think the wake-up call was Tennessee. Um, That game, it was all Mahomes. Like There was no run game. There was nothing. It was him, drop back. Everyone knows what's coming. You have to find a way to beat it. He he did, but you don't want to ever do that again. I think Kansas City got up to that point where Josh Allen is in Buffalo at times, and they said, okay, we, we can't do that again. And I think that against the Jaguars, it was a relative conscious decision to not only, you know, you see Mahomes, you, you, you got a third down and you got man coverage, you see a lane, go ahead, run the ball. But other than that, we're going to work the run game. We're going to get the ball out quickly. We're not going to make you have to be Superman, except when you want to be Superman like he did on third and long in the very fourth <laughs> quarter. And he just got hit by Josh Allen and delivers an absolute alien ball, alien ball. He couldn't step into it all the way, but he locates it outside MVS who then adjusts. I, that throw is phenomenal. And there are only maybe two quarterbacks in the NFL that can do that. So when he was, he's asked to be Superman, he can, but I think that they are realizing, okay, we kind of have to have a little bit of a run game because if teams like the Tennessee Titans, or if they have to play a Tennessee Titans team in the future, you still need the mentality that you can run the ball, that you can do different things, and you don't always have to account for Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball 63 times and running 12. Like, that's just however many times it was. It felt like he ran 12 times in that game. You you can't have it happen, especially when he's going to be in Kansas City his career. So I do think it was a wake-up call. Not only that, but seeing Josh Allen struggle in the red zone this year specifically, but also – why was he playing? Why was he playing? That doesn't make any lick of sense. You lost the game anyway. Just don't bother. Let Case Keenum play in a revenge game against the Minnesota Vikings, <laughs> please. And don't worry about Josh Allen possibly getting hurt, which he did kind of get nicked up in that game too. So that made no sense that the Bills need to figure something out there. But I do think that whole situation helps the, the Chiefs stay in and understanding that they have to let other people take a brunt of the work, and Kadarius Tony kind of plays right into that, in my opinion. You can hand him off the ball. You can do a lot of different things with him, and then you have a run game now you can kind of hope to lean into a little bit. So I'm not super worried about him being the Josh Allen later in the season. Let's switch gears, talk defense. I, for one, have been 
pleasantly surprised with how quickly the Chiefs mm-hmm. defense, all the young players, the moving pieces, the new guys, they've gelled. Uh, mm-hmm. I, for one, I've been I've been called it a few times by folk on here. I thought the Chiefs were really going to struggle early on in the season. I had the Chiefs going 11 and six. I thought the the beginning part of the season was going to be a struggle defensively, and they have far exceeded my expectations, even with McDuffie missing time, with yeah. Willie Gay Jr. missing four games, right? So I've, I've been very impressed. Just overarching here before we look into each uh, specific group, have you been shocked at the early returns when it comes to this Spags-led, youth-led defense? I've been very pleasantly surprised. I wouldn't say shocked because the talent was there. I think when you watch the guys, you say, okay, they're very talented. It was all about rookies playing a lot of time. It just usually takes time to acclimate. I really do think that the combination up front with Joe Cullen coming into the building, giving Spags a little bit more input than we've seen other defensive line coaches do. I think that's made a big impact on taking a little bit of pressure off of Spags up front. And he's gotten in his bag in the back half, really mixing up the blitzes and the coverage is using the talent so their their advantages and these young guys are coming in playing really really well. I think Williams had some struggles early but he's his confidence is is soaring right now. I think he's playing really good football. They do switch in Jalen Watson and Joshua Williams and you almost don't notice any difference. So that's always good to see getting them playing time and understanding that you know, we got guys that we feel comfortable just throwing out there whenever they need to be. And I also believe that Willie Gay has taken another step forward. This game against the Jets, he was all over the place. He was all over the place against the Jags. Like, he's being the kind of leader that you want. Nick Bolton's doing his thing. You see Leo Chanel starting to make some plays, getting his confidence. So I'm really, I'm so pleasantly surprised that they are rounding into the type of defense that I thought we'd see next year. Like yeah. the early returns, Spags, again, he's had a great, a great season. But I do believe part of the reason he's had such a great year is because Joe Cullen has allowed him to do some things. And their their collective mind, this hive mind that they have right now going on in the, in the defensive end, has really paid some dividends. And while it's not perfect, it's not you know always going to be this shutdown defense. We're seeing the the little tinks, the little tinkerings that, that he's doing every single week, and he's playing on the weakness of the offense that he plays every week. And that's the kind of a defensive adjustments you're seeing that we didn't see in the previous seasons. He's adjusting quicker. He's adjusting faster. He's figuring out offensive weaknesses quicker, and he's attacking them. And I absolutely love it. Something I've noticed is the Chiefs aren't giving up as many big plays. Some yeah. of that comes from the speed, the athleticism, but obviously the youth and the inexperience we thought was going to potentially lead to more big plays, right? Mm-hmm. Is part of this a combination? Because if you've noticed, Chiefs don't force hardly any turnovers. They Correct. don't. Is this don't more do of a concerted effort where they're saying, you know what, as long as the Chiefs defense doesn't get beat, if they don't give it the big play, the Chiefs' offense is good enough. If we can hold them to three, don't mm-hmm. force a turnover. Just hold them to three. Chiefs will score seven. Is that what's going on here? Or do you think there's some aspect of, you know, the turnovers will come later? Because for my eyes, it just feels like they're so worried about giving it the big play. And I'm not saying it's wrong. I think it's worked to perfection so far. They just don't care about turning the ball over. So they still play relatively kind of devil may care in the back end. He's been still letting the young guys play on islands, but I think it's a combination of not (laughs) getting such bad luck all the time. You have a change in a lot of personnel in the back end. I I know a lot of people like Charverius Ford. I know a lot of people like Rashad Fenton. I know a lot of people had feelings for Daniel (laughs) Sorensen. Those guys are gone now, and you're seeing 
Part of the problem with them in the defense, obviously we know Dan Sorensen was a huge issue last year with communication. Tyron Matthew, he's doing the same stuff in New Orleans that he did last year, where it does not feel like he's trying as hard as he could to make plays. And a lot of that, again, trying to deal with your body, I understand. You don't want to get hurt. I totally get it. But the Chiefs understood this. They're like, okay, we don't want to deal with that. We want to get younger. We want to get guys that are hungry, that are going to look to make plays. And while early in the season you saw some of the adjustments, getting beat over, getting beat, getting beat deep, also in the Bills game where some guys are just going to end up beating you. Like you just kind of live with that. It wasn't because of a miscommunication or a problem. They had everything dialed up right. Better throw, better player, beat them. And you're okay to live with that. Again, the defense for most of that game against the Bills led up 17 points. I'm totally fine with that. I'm totally fine getting beat twice. That's it. They got beat twice, okay? And that, that really was it. And then the Bills went and went ahead and, and led that game-winning drive. But the young guys are learning quicker, and they're getting their head around. They're in good position all the time. The safeties, I think Juan has played relatively well this season, better than last year, not what he the standard he set for himself. Not the which... all-pro call <laughs> he gave this offseason. Always, <laughs> always hard to live up to the all-pro call. But I also think that Justin Reed's quietly – been really important to their communication in the back end it doesn't go on he makes he misses some tackles he's you know he's not the best tackler in space whatever fine he's also been asked to play slot a little bit at times which isn't his strength either but he's a very good communicator he understands the run defense he comes down isn't afraid to get his his head down there none of them are Trent McDuffie Josh Williams Jalen Watson Juan Thornhill and Justin Reed all have no issues coming downhill getting involved in the run game no one's backing down. Now, that's the big thing for me. So while last year there was big play after big play after big play, there was no way to adjust it because the players kind of hit their ceiling, their max. They weren't able to get better. And we're seeing young guys come in being put to the fire and they're learning. They're taking their talents and they're getting better. And I do think, as John points out, that Brian Cook's also playing more, especially as a third safety that's allowing them to play much more diamond passing downs and they're living really comfortably in it. So lots of talent. I was going to say, it feels more like they, they want the Traverius wards and less the Marcus Peters. They want the guy who's in the hip pocket of the defender. They want a guy who's not afraid to tackle. They want less gambling and the whole secondary for the most part is bought in. And that's, I think what we're seeing again, why I think we're seeing less big plays and also less turnovers. We've touched on the secondary a little bit. Just one more time here. Joshua Williams, the ability he has to tackle, especially in space for a rookie corner, is extremely impressive. Uh, And then when it comes to Trent McDuffie, this was his first real test against the Jags. He played a half against the Arizona Cardinals. Then he played against the Malik Willis-led Tennessee Titans. Wasn't much to take away there, but nice game back for him. Nice to get him involved, get the legs moving at least a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then this game against the Jacksonville Jaguars. What have you seen from him? Because stuff that I notice – he uses his sideline as like towards his advantage and not a lot of corners do this. I know mm-hmm. you're supposed to, I yeah. understand this, but he truly pushes them towards it. So they don't have much space. What have you noticed from McDuffie? <laughs> Trent McDuffie is exactly what I saw at Washington. He is always under, he, he just understands the job. He knows what he's supposed to do. He's in position all the time. 
he's going to get beat by better throws. I think you saw that Trevor Lawrence had some absolute the Marvin Jones, right? The Marvin Jones Jr. was just <laughs> absurd. Like there, there are some things you, you just kind of you know tip your hat, move on, and that's basically what he did. But he's always in position. He understands exactly where he needs to be and the point of using the sideline. And I think playing into the the refs want to let them play a little bit more in terms of if there's some hand fighting, if there's, you know, back and forth between the wide receiver and the, and the corner, that plays directly into Trent McDuffie's game because he's not going to be the longest guy. But if he can get inside, which he's very good at, sticking in that hip pocket, he un- he has the speed that most people don't understand. He can recover very well, and he doesn't he trusts his speed. So if he wants to take a chance underneath and maybe try to get his hands on you, he's got the speed to recover. And when he sticks in that hip pocket, allowing him to play with his hands a little bit more gives him the freedom to not have to worry about the length. Like guys, can, if you if you can't do that with the hand fighting, you're going to get beat over the top more. But again, we saw against Marvin Jones again down the left sideline. Hand fighting, nothing he could do about it. Like so, he was in position. He's just so he's so good, and I, he doesn't have the size that Tariq Woolen or Sauce Gardner have. But he's better with his hip and his ankle flexion. He is so much better at flipping his hips and moving and reacting than either of those two players are. His mental acuity allows him to do so many different things than either Sauce, in my opinion, or Tariq can do. They just have that elite 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 athleticism for their size that allows them to stand apart but i do believe talent wise he's on par with those two guys and he's going to be one of the best corners in the nfl uh it's one day i really believe it so before we get to the d line let's hit on the line about because we talked about it briefly this was leo chanel's best game as a Kansas city chief uh mostly just the first half right he didn't play a ton Mm -hmm. in the second half uh the scheme the setup i would say just didn't make a lot of sense for him to be in the game willie gay jr i mean my gosh I mean, him and Nick Bolton, it's Batman and Robin. For all the folks who are getting upset at Nick Bolton, Mm -hmm. I kept trying to tell them, wait until Willie Gay Jr. gets back. They work well together. I mean, we heard from the draft. Brett Veach was on this show before, and he was talking about how, you know, Willie Gay Jr. wanted the Chiefs to draft Nick Bolton because he knew they'd play well together. So as far as these three guys go, what have you seen so far? What's the future hold you know, are there any things to be cautious about? Because obviously Nick Bolton's not the best in coverage, but I personally mm-hmm. believe he's been better than at least advertised in coverage. What have you seen overall? It's all about making sure you don't ask him to do things he just can't do. And that's what they do. They don't ask him to cover tight ends man-to-man. They don't ask him to cover running backs man-to-man. Yeah, he'll have some flat responsibilities for running backs, but he's not asked to carry them down the field. He's a spot-dropping linebacker. And that's all they have to ask him to do. As long as you're, that's what you're asking him to do in coverage, he's going to be just fine. And we've seen that over the course of the last two years. So I'm totally okay with him being that and playing off of Willie Gay and knowing that, yeah, Nick Bolton may never be a top five solo linebacker in the NFL, but I think the duo can be a top five duo because they do play so well together. They trust a little bit too much at times in nickel to play against the run again that's not just the linebacker problem that's a defensive front problem that we're seeing having some impact with colin saunders playing a little bit more but in the grand scheme when they're in their three linebacker set against and rundowns leo chanel is able he's starting to get a little bit faster when he doesn't have to think that's when you see the best plays two plays that you saw him get in the backfield because he was just going downhill he's like i'm not thinking i'm going i see a gap and i'm rushing that's what he he's doing best right now 
and they're utilizing him best in his those situations and making sure he doesn't have to think too much because the one thing we've talked about over the last few years with linebackers is that when you watch guys like Reggie Ragland, like Anthony Hitchens, all these types of players, if they have to think, it, it, the, the plays happen behind them. Like it, it's just it's just what it, what it is. So I like what they're getting out of the three together on the field. I'm hopeful that you can see a little bit more out of a third round pick in Chanel because if you ask him just to be a Sam, that's not much return on investment in my opinion, especially for a guy who I think has a lot of athletic ability. You can use him in multiple different ways. I would personally like to see him to use him as an edge rusher a little bit. I think mm. he could grow in that facet. But as a th- again, as a third-round pick, he doesn't have a, a starting linebacker possibility. So if you drafted him just to be a Sam, it feels a little bit, I'm not going to say like a waste of a pick, but almost like a luxury, like you did with Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the first round. It's like, we don't necessarily need a linebacker here, but he's here and we're going to kind of take him. Um, So I'm hoping that they utilize him more in a a pure pass rushing sense when they get everything figured out. Maybe next year he takes a bigger role in that department, but they have a lot of buys at defensive end. So we'll see. But the linebackers have been getting better as the season's gone along. And I think a lot of that has to do with now you're seeing Nick Bolton and Willie Gay reunited after a suspension with the defensive line five sacks against the Jags. How much do you build off this? How much do you think this can continue? How much of it was this is against the Jacksonville Jaguars, but Chris Jones has been Chris Jones all season long. Mm-hmm. Colin Saunders is getting more involved, getting a larger role. And I think he's really shined. He stood out, right? I mean, yeah. the Aaron Donald of the FCS, no, <laughs> no man who's that round. should be able to move like no. that. It's, it's no. incredible. Uh, Carlos Dunlap getting his 100th career sack was, I mean, come on, that's historical. Yeah, that's and then great. you're looking at Mike Dana, who's getting after the quarterback. Uh, George Karlovitz, who I believe had his fifth pass deflection yep. at the end, right? J.J. Karswatis, as I'm calling him right now. <laughs> Is that right? I, I've been very impressed so far, at least just this one game. Is this something we can expect going forward with Frank Clark now getting back in the mix? Or was this more of a... You know, it was a great game, but you're going to see a ton of inconsistencies from this unit. The pass rush is going to go as Chris Jones goes. If he's not winning, if he's not getting, if he's getting double teamed, you're going to see some struggles. But that's exactly what's made this year so brilliant is that Spags and Cullen have done a great job of in real pure pass rush situations. Hey, Dana. Hey, uh, hey, Carl Loftus. Why don't you go play nose tackle and just draw a double team? Just attack a gap and force one of these two interior offensive linemen to have to pay attention to you because you can overpower a center. And hey, hey, Chris, why don't you go be a wide nine or, or close to like a wide defensive end and you're going to get a one-on-one with any tackle you want. You just pick one. You can, We'll just do it that way. They've done a really good job of taking their defensive ends and getting one-on-ones. And that can continue no matter how they want to slice it up. On pure pass rushdowns, you can get Chris Jones one-on-one. And he's been better this year as a defensive end pass rusher than he was the last year, he's, he's trimmed down once again, and it hasn't impacted his ability to win on the outside with his strength, his power. He's using more speed to power, too. So he's been able to win one-on-one matchups consistently at a defensive end position, and they're utilizing, you know, George Karloftis to his strengths on the inside, which right now he's still working on his pass rush plan. He's not winning as consistently as a one-on-one defensive end, and they understand that. That's fine. They're saying, okay, let's utilize you in a way that can get Chris Jones a one-on-one. I don't know of any better way of utilizing a rookie who's still learning how to get his his hands 
together. Honestly, Ryan told me the other day I wanted to spend the whole offseason with Tom Bahali. Yes, please do. Let him <laughs> utilize those hands, and that's one thing I think Tom can show you how to do. So the pass rush goes as Chris Jones goes. But right now, think just thinking about the fact that Frank Clark, a slim down Frank Clark is coming back, makes me making me excited about the pass <laughs> rush. That should really tell you what they're doing up front with these guys, and that I'm excited to see Frank Clark back. <laughs> Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, <laughs> shame on me. Uh, I'll take I, it. Shame on me. That's fine. <laughs> I, I see some of y'all in the chat talking about special teams. Tom Hood, I see you. Yeah. We'll get to special teams a little bit later on in the show with Arrowhead Addicts Lyle Grayerson. Daniel Harms, film analyst, RGR football, and fantasy football astronauts. Daniel, what do you have going on? Where can folks find you? I know you can they can find you on Twitter at inharmsway19. What else happening? Oh, man, I got film going up tonight on rgrfootball.com. I have my In Harm's Way series going up tomorrow. That's an in-depth analysis look at the Kadarius Tony Moss play and then the third down against the, the Jaguars where Mahomes goes God mode. So if you want to check those out, that'd be awesome. I do the Fantasy Football Astronauts podcast as well. That'll be dropping probably tomorrow, if not Thursday. And you can also find me on TikTok at an In Harm's Way 19 with a ton of NFL film breakdowns, not just Chief stuff. So it's all all tons of stuff over there. You're TikToking now? I am. It's, you, you know, you the dancing? short videos. I don't know. I don't do any of that stuff. It's all just film, man. It's all just film. If you want to see Daniel Harms twerking, follow him on TikTok. <laughs> That's exactly what you'll find. <laughs> uh, Daniel, always a pleasure, man. We'll for sure talk soon. Sounds good, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, we'll be joined in just a moment by Lyle Graverson from Arrowhead Addict. But first, special DraftKings promo for Arrowhead Addict viewers. Bet $5, get 200 in free bets if the Chiefs beat the Chargers when you use code Arrowhead. Uh, again, this is code Arrowhead, and this expires Sunday, November 20th. By the way, I got to hit this disclaimer, so bear with me. This is going to crush my voice. New customers only, 21 plus and present in select states. See full terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable free bets or site credits. Gambling problem? Call text 1-800-GAMBLER. Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Wyoming, 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369, New York, 1-800-NEXT-STEP-ARIZONA, 1-800-522-4700, Colorado, 888-789-7777, Connecticut, 1-800-BETS-OFF, Iowa, uh, 1-877-770-STOP-7867, Louisiana. Call text TN Redline 1-800-889-9789, Tennessee, or 1-888-532-3500, Virginia. That was a mouthful. Got it done, though. Use code Arrowhead. DraftKings also it helps us out. And again, if the Chiefs beat the Chargers, five bucks for 200? Come on. That's child's play. Uh, let's talk now bringing in Lyle Graverson from Arrowhead Addict. Lyle, how you doing? I'm doing all right, man. You hear me okay? Uh, you're fantastic. You're golden. Perfect. All right. We're going to talk some Kadarius Tony. We're going to talk some special teams. Where do you want to start first? Let's start with Kadarius Tony. I know I asked you, but come on. Kadarius Tony is more fun than the debacle that is the special teams right now. Kadarius Tony made one of one play that stood out that we've not seen from a Chiefs wide receiver since maybe Dwayne Bowe. I mean, as great as Tyreek Hill is, I don't know if he's going up and bringing that ball down. As great as Juju Smith-Schuster's been all season long, 
He's not making that play. What have you seen from Gadarius Tony? his ability and his athleticism, his height, his size? What does he bring to the table? I think I think he's just really exciting at this point because what I saw on Sunday, and I wrote a little bit about this uh, on Monday for Arrowhead Addict, actually, was that he already looks like he'll be an upgrade over, as a worst-case scenario, an upgrade over McCole Hardman in kind of that gadget weapon role like and and i see that as his floor at this point so it he's got change of direction abilities that mccall doesn't have but can still make those explosive plays and then it's what you were just talking about he's got the upside to also be like a legit receiver in a way that mccall hardman just hasn't developed into um whether it's going up and high pointing that ball like you talked about that was like super impressive or there was actually it didn't get as much fanfare because he was he had a lot smaller role he put a move on a guy in the titans game on the one catch he made that was like a a legit like change of direction move that again you just don't see a guy like mccall hardman make he's more of a straight line kind of guy and so I think he's still I think most of the plays other than the one where he he went up for that ball he was it was still kind of created touches you know more the way they get McCall Hardman the ball so I think he's got a ways to go before we can just go well we've got Tyree Kill's replacement he's here it's over it's done check that off the list I don't think we can go there yet but he's shown the upside whether it's his hands and and like I said his change of direction ability he's got an upside that we don't have on this roster. And I, I wrote just two weeks ago about how Juju Smith-Schuster was putting up number one receiver numbers in this offense, but the upside that Tony has and the skills that he's flashing are, it's hard not to get excited. I love they gave him that pseudo Josh Gordon touchdown right there. You got, you got to, got to give him the ball, got to give him that one touchdown, get everyone hyped up. As far as the, I don't want to dwell on it too much, but the drama that surrounded him with the Giants. How worried are you about that as far as the reason why the Giants gave up only a third and what was a sixth for him? I mean, let's be real here. He was a first-round draft pick. The Giants needed wide receivers. They needed Kenny Galladay to come back, and they were willing to part ways with Kadarius Toney. But so far, what we've seen from Toney, great work ethic, good in interviews, says the right things, done the right things, not afraid to block so far to get himself at least in the game. I I mean, this does not seem like the same guy that was seemingly causing issues in New York. Yeah, it, 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 everything is definitely sunny and rosy right now. And so the hope is it stays that way, right? The hope is there's not a game where he doesn't get any balls and suddenly he's mad or, you know, and I don't, honestly, it could have, it could have had nothing to do with, with, how much he was being used. It could have been a personality thing with the coaching staff. Who knows? We never really got a definitive answer. Clearly the Giants were not happy with him. He was not happy with the Giants. They did a pretty good job of keeping it kind of out of the media. Everybody just kind of knew it was a thing, but nobody really had the details of it. So it's hard to say, well, that concrete can't happen in Kansas City because you don't have a concrete what exactly was the deal. Um, Obviously, injuries were part of it, but it sure kind of seems like there might have been some stuff he would have played through if he was happy because suddenly he gets traded to Kansas City and he's like, I'm healthy now. And so... (laughs) Yeah, what, what's that touchdown? Was that a little bit of a uh, an ode to the hamstring injury? Because- I know. 
The it, first it one totally, looked like a legit look like, oh, kill me, stay in bounds. Then he's like, let's hopscotch. Let's just go ahead and prove it. <laughs> yes. And I was waiting for him to do. There's the the meme now online of the of the Casey soccer player girl doing yeah. that and then like shaking her booty. And I was just waiting for him to do that at the end <laughs> of it to totally just embrace that. But uh, he didn't he didn't go there. But it it definitely feels like he got in a happy situation and he suddenly feels a lot better. So again, I, I hope it stays good. You would think if, if a wide receiver was going to be happy in a situation, I don't know where else he could go, where he would be more happy. I mean, when you've got a player's coach in Andy Reed, you've got a pass heavy offense, you've got the best quarterback on the planet, throwing him the ball. If he can't be happy here, I don't know where he's going to be happy unless it's just the kind of thing where like somebody's like, come here and we'll throw you, you know, 15 passes a game, but we're going to lose every game. But you're just going to get a lot of, you know, stats or whatever. But the possibility is there that this could be a home run like in that at this point, that's all you can hope for. Like he he's flashed. Like I said, worst case scenario, they can let Hardman walk and he can just be a, a better version of what they've had in McCole Hardman. Best case scenario, he could be not the guy that left town that we're tired of talking about, but a explosive weapon that could take that guy's place. And he, they're different players. They're not going to be the same. But if and this is something else I put on my piece um, yesterday was that he could also really open things up for Juju, because now if defenses have to like, oh, man, where's Tony at? What's like we always have to, you know focus on what he's doing. And then obviously you have to focus on Kelsey. Juju could be that guy that's like, all right, I'm just going to rack up a bunch of 10 yard catches while you're worried about other things. So this was already the most efficient offense by almost all the metrics. They're the highest scoring offense. And if you add like Tony, just even if, even if he's just what we saw on Sunday and he doesn't go more than that, but he's consistently that, other teams just have to be going, oh, you got to be kidding me. Like the Chiefs offense added this for a late third round pick. And now we've got to do it. Like, on a rookie deal. Right. On a, yeah. So it's like they've got him tied up for the next few years. Like they just have to be like, like dying when seeing how he's he's producing. So it's exciting right now. And again, because of how quickly the Giants gave up on such a talented player, that has to be in your back of your mind a little bit. Like you can't just go. Well, no, it's impossible. Everything will be roses from here on out, but it certainly looks good so far. Yeah, so far the returns have uh, exceeded expectations. Uh, by the way, Patrick Allen, hey, dude, yeah, I know. That's not Matt Connor. He looks a little different. Matt Connor is getting a tattoo. This is Lyle Graverson. Sorry, the, the camera's reversed. I got to point this way. Uh, and I, th- I thought it'd be fun, Lyle. Let me know your thoughts. If we have Matt Connor getting his tattoo live on the show i thought that'd be fun that would be excellent i think if we if we had a like on the scene camera or something that we could have <laughs> we could have gone in for updates but i'm actually been writing for arrowhead attic so long that uh patrick allen was the guy that hired me when he was running aa to write <laughs> like over a decade ago so so i know pat i know patrick allen full, full circle huh coming yes. full circle right now yes Let's talk about the special teams because I know a lot of folks want to talk about it and special teams have not been special. Dave Tobe, outside of maybe one year before this year, 
has had about one season outside the top eight, top five. He's typically top three when it comes to special teams metrics. But this year feels different. Uh, Matt Connor actually brought up a very good aspect of this. Maybe some of the back-end players, the glue guys, uh, the Dorian O'Daniels, the Dan Sorensons, right? The uh, was it? Zane Andersons. Guys didn't have a role on this roster. The back-end for the Chiefs are better, but those glue special teamers, they're now gone. My pushback was, well, Bucker's still here. He's still missing kicks. You know, uh, you still have Marcus Kemp and Chris Lamonts. What do you think some of the main special teams issues have been? You know, it's really hard to say. And, and you know, I guess I'll start with Bucker. I, I think kicking in the NFL is such a mental game that it's just, I think sometimes, I don't know if it's like a, a golfer that gets the yips or whatever. I, and, and then a part of me wonders, like, is he fully like, is the, is he fully healthy from that injury he came back from? Or is that still just causing enough things? Cause the, you know, if he was missing, if he was just missing like 50 yard field goals, but the extra points is like, man, what's going on here. That's the part that, you know, is this in your head? Are you still hurt from that injury beforehand? Um, it's not like the replacement kickers were just lighting the world on fire. So I don't know that we're worse off with him out there if he is still a little banged up or, or not feeling 100%. But it's it's definitely the kind of thing that when you get into the postseason, you definitely like to have the extra points and the, and the gimme field goals feeling like they're a sure thing because, you know, it may not matter against the Jaguars in week 10 or whatever it was. But man, in the in the playoffs, that can that can be the difference. I mean, if you that one point or something can be a huge deal. So if he's not healthy, I don't know if it like, and I don't know enough about his injury to know, like, is it the kind of thing? Would we be better off with letting him just like rest for the next month and get right? So he really is right. Or is this mental and you just got to let him kick through it? I, I don't know. And then as far as the coverage units, it that's really been like, I don't know why. And it may, am I crazy for thinking it? I feel like this kind of dates back to last year too. It just feels like we do dumb things on special teams a lot, whether it's sloppy tackling or like always a block in the back or a, or like guys like not clearing, getting away from a live ball when that, that should be like high school level. Like it, the ball is just get back. Just there's no good that can come from you getting close to it. Like get out of there. Like it just, and and when a, a special teams coach has his reputation, you would think that stuff would all just be like gimmies, like it, like safe. Uh, so that's been really frustrating. So I don't know if it's the kind of thing where you need a new voice. And I, I can't see Reed firing Tobe after this season. That just doesn't seem like a like a something that Andy Reed would do. But I don't know if it's just like some of those guys have just heard his voice and the same message for so long that it's just not sinking in anymore or what the deal is. But special teams really have been just sloppy and kind of underperforming all year, though. Yeah, I'll give Dave Tobe the benefit of the doubt because he's done it so long. And no, Butker's missed extra points. That's not on Dave Tobe. But, you know, some of the other aspects are every single receiver trying to catch the ball as a punt returner doesn't matter the yardage could be the three yard line the one yard line the five i know they talk about now it's no longer this seven to ten if it's over you let it bounce because the punters are so good but i don't think they're saying catch the ball on the three like there are certain aspects that you're sitting here going dave tobe you got to be telling these guys because it's not just one player it wasn't just sky Moore, who by the way was fumbling but was also doing the same situations now Kadarius tony 
right? He brought the ball out on the one. Why? Would have been a touchback. Like, there's some situations where you're sitting here and, and you're just a little bit confused. The onside kick to start the game against Jacksonville. How are you not prepared for that? Yeah, That's one of those situations. You're going up against a lesser opponent. Not as much on the line for them. You know they're going to go out and try and do every little trick in the book. You have to be ready for that. Yeah, the being not prepared for the onside kick drives me crazy. One thing that I think Tobe has failed to adjust, he's always had this, hey, let's let's go for it. Let's bring it out of the end zone or let's field the punt on the one yard line and 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 go for it. Because yeah, you might get you might get stuffed some, but you also might break one occasionally. And if you can break a huge return for a touchdown, that's like a game changer. But, but we don't have those so guys. Good. But the right, right. <laughs> That's my thing. It's like he developed this philosophy when he had returners that were electric and and were like there was a good chance that they would break one every couple games. We just don't have those guys back there now. So you don't have the upside of being aggressive anymore. Like you just don't. When was the last time the Chiefs returned a, a kick or a punt for a touchdown? I can't even think off the top of my head when it was. Did Hardman Hall? I'm being facetious. Yeah, like <laughs> I'm, I'm it, being facetious, but <laughs> it feels like it though. But I, it, I really feel like he needs to adjust his philosophy for the guys that we have back there. If we had Tyreek back there, or we had you know the Devin Hester's of the world back there, then yeah, you're more aggressive because give those guys a chance to make a play. But we just haven't seen anything from the returners that we have right now that makes you go, "Hey, it's worth." getting pinned at the two yard line because he's going to take one to the house eventually. I just, I just don't see that realistically right now. So man, there's no reason to pin Patrick Mahomes back. Pat's fine. Give him the ball at the 20. He's good. (laughs) You don't need to try and create something for to get the offense going in most games. The offense is going to put up points. Just don't do dumb stuff, and we should be okay. I like Julia Colton's silver lining. How great is Tommy Townsend? I agree. Tommy Townsend's been very impressive. Uh, he's been better than I expect. He's always had a big leg, right? But the knock against him was pinning guys inside the 20, the coffin corners. He, he's grown. I mean, wouldn't you say, Lyle? I mean, I, I feel like the biggest knock was the inside the 20, inside the 10. And now it seems like Tommy's doing that. Absolutely. In fact, it's almost like it's bizarro special teams world from when we when we entered the season. Townsend was the guy I wasn't so sure about. I was like, well, I feel pretty good about Butker and we usually have pretty good coverage units, but I'm not sure is is are we going to be able to rely on Townsend? Well, Townsend's been the best thing and everything else has been pretty pretty uh hit and miss. So, so yeah, he is definitely the bright spot and uh, I've been I've been super impressed. Like you said, the accuracy combined with the leg strength he's been he's been lights out most of the season i want to give some of my thoughts very quickly on harrison butker we talked about it he he came out i think it was a week ago before the game and said he was not completely healthy uh, i've talked to chiefs hall of fame kicker nick lowry about it and he basically said you got to make sure that he was 100 healthy you, you don't want an injury like this potentially bothering him the rest of his career that can be an issue something someone like harrison butker i'm not as worried as Others are when it comes to extra points being a mental block. He went through that mental block in, what was it, 2020. Last year, he only missed two. What was it, 46 of 48? If I, This is off the top of my head right now. Yeah. 46 of 48, that's really good from 33 yards, right? That's a pretty damn good number. That doesn't seem like a mental block. That seems like a guy who got over what he was doing wrong the previous year. Now, this year, the missed extra points, 
this feels more like injury-based to me. Seems like he's not doing the same motion. I know he can kick a 55-yarder off one leg, but wait for him to get healthy. Like, wait. The Chiefs need him in the playoffs. We know what's at stake. If a kicker costs you a game, which we've seen against the Colts, right? If a healthy Bucker's there, we all think the Chiefs win that game. But I also will say, that's also on the team. There's not many games left where you have to rely on Bucker or a kicker to be perfect to win a game. If you do, there's other issues. That means right. the offense sputtered. That means the defense had some, some, some miscues. I just want to see a healthy Butker when the games matter most because he does not seem 100%. He is the second best kicker in the NFL, in my opinion, when healthy behind Justin Tucker. And there's no reason for him to try and fight through it if he himself says he's not 100%. Yeah, and especially if the results aren't any better than what we were getting from the replacement kickers. Because mm-hmm. it, it, if if he was doing better accuracy-wise than what we are seeing from them, but it it's been about the same right now. I mean, neither one's been great. I'm not saying, like, I'm excited to have the replacement <laughs> level guys come back. But if it meant that he would really feel good and be back to his old self for playoffs, I'd be fine with that down down for the next month or so if he needed to he needed to rest some. But it doesn't seem like that's the route they're taking. Uh, got a good question from the Ring of Honor member Rebar. He says, WTF is going on with the NFL in these calls on questionable hits. Hit on Juju. Uh, the laundry was picked up. Then on the commanders, they seal the game on a hit. He puts in quotations, yes, my rule is a flag with a defender, but it seemed like the guy was trying to slow up. Does the NFL have an issue when it comes to some of these, you know, refs taking over the game or not taking over the game when it comes to questionable calls? I would also like to point out the no call on the face mask on Dallas Goddard, which turned into a fumble. They go to the replay. Well, you can't overturn that. Then what the hell is the point of the replay? Yeah, it... I think the NFL has an officiating problem. I don't know that I would specifically like put it on the, on the hits and the unnecessary. It just seems like they just either need to, I don't know. It feels like you're wasting an opportunity to get stuff right with, with officials that are, have access to the replays. Like, and it seems like sometimes they get a call in and it's like, Hey, it's not that it's this. And they, do the right thing. And then other times they're like, well, we can't look at a replay because that's not reviewable. And it's like, it, it just seems dumb. It seems like it, it, this, with the technology we have, every game should have a, an official that's there on the screen looking at what, seeing what we're seeing that can just talk right into the head official's ear and go, hey, yeah, that's this. Like, why can't we just, why can't we just do, like, if everybody that's watching the game can see it's clearly this, why do we have to just go, well, it's not reviewable or and it, it just seems like everything's so subjective from how what is a foul and in, in a lot of different situations, not just unnecessary roughness, but in a lot of different things. What's a flag? What's not? And then when is it OK to get some input from somebody on a call and when is it not? Because it seems like that's completely inconsistent, too. It just seems like it's it. The whole thing is just it's confusing and I, and I don't see how they cannot see that they would be frustrating to their, to, to the fan base that they're serving this product to on a weekly basis. Yeah. Some comments from wink, uh, wink, Weendale like the no calls on PI though. I'm with you. It seems like they're letting the, you know, a little more hand fighting going on this year than in years past. Tom hood says NFL efficient has always had problems. It's like this every year. I agree. 
but it's also one of the situations where it doesn't have to be like this every year. Baseball decided, you know what, let's review. It first started off with home runs only. Then they went into plays when it was, you know, the runner at first base. And then they came to, if you're a millimeter off the bag going into second base on a stolen base, they've evolved. And that's weird to say baseball's replay has evolved more than the NFL's. <laughs> like baseball is stuck in yeah. 1917. Honus yeah. Wagner still out there. I, I just don't understand. I feel like we'll eventually get to where replay makes more sense. They had that one season where you could challenge PIs. And I get that was very subjective. But the NFL tried to tank that. It seemed like the NFL officials were really against it. And they're trying to say, you know what? No, no, no. No, we can't have this work out because then this is going to make us look bad. Who cares if you look bad? You look better if you get the call right and review. No one necessarily cares if you mess up on the field. What well, matters is it, it, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off because you were you were rolling there. But um, it to me, if you just had the guy in the booth, you wouldn't even have the like ego check of a coach calling you out with a with a challenge and proving you wrong. It's just oh, the officials as a group, including the guy in the booth. Let me know it was a foul or it wasn't. You know what I mean? It's like you don't even have to eat your, you know, how many times do we see him pick up flags? If if you could do that at the right time because somebody confirmed it, great. Or if somebody said, oh, yeah, there was a face mask on that, throw the flag kind of thing. To me, like, do do what's obviously there. And again, I'm not talking about the like ticky tack. Was that pass interference or not? Cause there was a little contact. I'm talking about the more obvious stuff. When Juju gets laid out and there's helmet to helmet contact, like there should be a guy going, no, don't pick that flag up there. There was helmet to helmet or with there's a face mask or if there was clearly a fumble, you know what I mean? Just like get that stuff, right? Like that stuff, it shouldn't be that hard to get right. And the fact that they still don't do it consistently is frustrating. Or like the Chris Jones call in the Colts game that that was part of the reason they lost that game. That should be stuff that's just like somebody goes, yeah, no, that's not like I, I the Chris know. Jones on Tom Brady that when he touched his shoulder. But right. I do I, I, the Dallas Goddard one's horrible because he wouldn't have fumbled if it wasn't for the face mask. You think if every turnover is reviewable, which right. it is, right? How the hell can you not overturn that? Well, uh, or I, did you see the the Gabe Davis catch? Uh, in the Vikings Bills game, he's clear. It's under two minutes. He's clearly like yep. bobbling it, and they just don't even go to the review. Like everything's supposed to be reviewable under that. They just rushed up. The officials never stopped that. Nobody said, "Hold on." It's like, what are we? What are we doing? That one's even supposed to be mm. by the letter of the law reviewed, and they didn't even do it. So it's it. The whole thing's just frustrating sometimes. It looks like the NFL again. This is not new. I'm not saying this is not a new situation, but the NFL does continuously have a ref and officiating issue on its hand. All right, Lyle, you're going to stick with us, okay? All right. What we're going to do now, we're going to bring on Richard, our producer. I don't have the gong, Richard. I'm sorry. That's that's some bullshit, but uh, it's okay. Got, well, come on. I got I, got, I can hit the beer beer bottle. <laughs> that counts. No, that counts. That counts. Jim Casey beer. Does that work? Does that count? Yes, yeah. that works. That's uh, sufficient. So, Lyle, what we do here is called the best of. So, typically, me, Matt Carter, Richard, or the must list. So, basically, it's like, what do you have to listen to? What do you have to read? What do you have to watch? It's the must list. So, right. I'll let Richard go first while you think of one. Richard, what do you got for us this week? 
This week, I'm scrambling again. I, I, I couldn't think of anything. So last minute, we're going to recommend King Gizzard and Lizard Wizard's 2016 album. This one's called Nonagon Infinity. This album rules. It's a it's like a psychedelic rock album. It goes in a complete loop, hence the infinity, because each song will just mesh into the next one. Once you get to the last track, it pretty much just goes right back into the first track. So if you're listening to it on you know digital, that's probably your best option, actually. Just put that on a repeat loop. That album never ends, baby. You're stuck in the loop. You're stuck in the, inf- the Nonagon Infinity loop. So, so check so it out. So Lyle, as you can tell, Richard is the most out there on the must list every single time. It's something crazy, something you never heard of. And again, it helps us. We learn new stuff because I would ne- I would never know that. I would never hear that. Never no, know that's what a new one for me too. And I'm a music is. nerd, so I'm I'm excited. I'm gonna check it out. Yeah, check Ooh, it out. I like Julia's Pantera vulgar display of power. Love Pantera. Uh, I'll do mine. I'll do Appetite for Destruction. Guns and Roses, obviously extremely popular. But I was listening to it just top to bottom the other day, and you just forget how many good songs are on there. Night Train, Mr. Brownstone, Out to Get Me, It's So Easy. Yeah, obviously, Welcome to the Jungle, you know, Sweet Child of Mine. But you listen to just everything like, holy shit, what an album. What an album they put together. So Appetite for Destruction, go listen to it again. Uh, Lyle, what do you got? Because I'm a music nerd and you guys did both music, I'll I'll keep right on there. One of my favorite bands is a group, and I'm a big, I'll, I'll use my preaching time here to go, I just, I can't stand top 40, like, like just the music, like, I just can't, I just can't. But there's a great band called Nathaniel Rateliff and the Night Sweats. If you oh, like yeah. kind of like a, kind of like a bluesy Southern rock horn section kind of group. I, I love those guys. They're one of my favorites. They've got an album. I think it's called tearing at the seams that I love. Um, and then their most recent ones called like the future or something like that. I want to say, um, but they, they, they're one of my favorite bands, just like a lot of soul to them and just stuff you don't hear in a lot of uh, commercial music these days. No, they're awesome, man. Nathaniel Radcliffe, yeah. the Night Switch. They're great. I actually said it was Nathaniel Hackett in the Night Switch earlier on this season. Uh, yeah. Actually, the first game. The first game when they decided to kick that 64-yard field goal. I don't know how many people understood that reference, but you would have, <laughs> Lyle. You would have understood it. Nice. <laughs> All right, that's Lyle Graverson. You can follow him on Twitter at Lyle Graverson. Make sure you check out all of his writings, all of his work on Arrowhead Addict. He's been there, what, since the start almost, right? Well, not quite that far, but uh, it's been a while. I think this is like year 11 or something like that. So, so he's it's... been there for 11 years. 11 yes. years. You know, you know, he's got some great stuff on arrowheadaddict.com. Richard, you're the man. Always appreciate everything you do behind. You keep us on air. You keep us thing actually working because I'm basically 97 when it comes to technology. So without Richard, this does not happen. All of our listeners, we appreciate you guys so much. It means the world that you spend time with us, that you comment. Uh, If you join the Discord, we do appreciate that. We love interacting with you guys. Casey Beer Company, we appreciate you. Make sure you guys go out and get some. It is delicious. I am not just saying that. Until next time, we are out. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 
96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.